Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. Here's what we're doing today. We are actually starting a series on the book of James starting today. So we're starting a series called King James, which is a study on the epistle of James. And so today is going to be the first installment of this message. And so um, over the next however many weeks, we're going to be looking and focusing on the book of James for this first week. We are simply going to lay a foundation and and really set up camp, if you will, for the rest of this series. So this is all about setting a foundation. This is basically if you were to read certain texts within the Bible that give you the genealogy of Christ, uh, they are basically those books of the Bible are basically setting up the foundation for what is going to come in the rest of the story is kind of trying to help you understand why this is all important or really kind of tying some of these things together. That is really what we're going to try to do today. So it is going to be about setting a foundation and helping us understand why James is going to be our teacher over the next few weeks. The book or uh, epistle or letter of James has, has really been described, and this is kind of the why we want to look at this book in full but the book is really described as a how-to. Look at your neighbor and say, how-to. So it's really meant to be this guide or this book for Christian life. And so uh, similar to the book of Titus, which is meant and written for young preachers to help them understand how to conduct themselves as young preachers, the book of James is to the whole of those of us who call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ, in that it really helps us understand how we should be living as Christians and how we should face certain troubles or circumstances and what our response should be. It has been described as one of the most practical books of the Bible. And I know that that doesn't feel true for a lot of the Bible. Some of the Bible feels very much like you have to interpret or decipher and you kind of have to have this deeper understanding to really get it. That's not really true. Um, It's just certain versions or translations of the Bible that might be more beneficial to certain groups than they are to all groups. And so you really just have to find the text that works the best for you. But James in itself, regardless of the translation, is very practical. One of the books within the New Testament that gives um, a lot of instruction and exhortation to Christians who are experiencing troubles and, and what we have to do or how we should behave in the midst of that. So um, when I think about the book of James, I kind of think of like instruction manuals. 
So if you've ever built anything or if you've ever constructed something or if you have ever planned to do something, um, instruction manuals are extremely helpful, right? And so uh, it's like if you get a new electronic, whether it's like AirPod Pros or a new tablet or a new phone, whatever it is, it always will come with an instruction manual. And that is really what James is about. And so, you know, uh, that most times when you get this instruction manual, you get this thing, it will come with that owner's manual or those instructions on how to operate the, the item so that you can use it to its best ability or it gives you some guide to help you understand and set up the item for use. And so, what you probably know from your experience with manuals is that any good manual gives you just the right mix or balance of enough words to help you understand what you're supposed to do, but it also balances that out with uh, good illustrations. So it helps you not only understand by the wording what you have to do, but it actually shows you and it'll give you some pictures to help you understand what part goes where, what screw goes where, uh, and a good manual overall is practical and simple. And so that is what James really does. I think about Ikea furniture when I think about manuals or building anything. And the problem with Ikea furniture is not the manual itself. The problem with Ikea furniture is that almost everything you buy, you have to assemble. And so most people hate that fact that you have to assemble almost everything. But when you think about Ikea's manual that helps you assemble the product, it's actually rated as one of the best manuals to have when building something because there are very little words, but there are a lot of illustrations. And their illustrations are meant to be very simple to help you understand what you're supposed to do just by looking at the illustration. This is what the whole book of James provides to us as Christians. The book explains in a few words the responsibilities of Christians. It's only five books long, but it also supplies very relatable illustrations uh, from real life. And so the way in which James talks and communicates throughout the book is meant to be very simple to help us as Christians. It's meant to be very relatable. It's meant to be less of a doctrine and more about duty. So it gives you less of, you know, kind of that deeper stuff that feels like you have to have gone to four years of school to understand. It gives you less of that and it gives you more, almost like action items. Look at your neighbor and say action items. And so action items are meant to be very simple bullet points to help you understand you know, what, how to accomplish the task ahead of you. And so the book of James, again, less doctrine, more about duty. Now there, are, there is some doctrine within the book, so it's not void of that, but it's meant to be more about some actions for us as Christians. Again, it's practical, but also ethical. James's content is simple and it's focused on real life. And so this is why it is important for us to do a deep dive into this book um, overall. And so that's what we're going to do. So one of the key verses found within James um, is actually James chapter 1, verse 12. And this is really going to be the foundation for our message going forward. This is really going to help us understand what we're going to be diving into and what we're going to be looking into. Because James's uh, book is all about trials. Like if you have to think of a key word for the book of James, and again, we're setting the foundation for this series so it's going to be very informational about James and the book overall. But if you have to think of a key uh, word for the book of James, it's actually going to be trials. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's the key verse 
for James. So if the key word is trials, the key verse is going to be James chapter 1, verse 12. And here's what it says. It says, blessed is the one who preserves under trial. Look at your neighbor and say trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So I know we talked about less doctrine, but there is some doctrine even within this text here as that last sentence talks about loving God and love for the Lord. But James as a whole, again, is talking about preserving under trials. How do we behave? How do we handle the test? How do we stand within the test? And what happens to us? And what is the reward for us standing in the middle of that test and persevering? And so this verse, James 1 verse 12, is really the highlight or the central verse of this entire book. And this is gonna be our foundation for our message. Um, what you'll notice as we walk through the text in this book itself is that, uh, again, that key word trials is gonna come up often. And this is what James's focus is on. And that Greek word or that word trials translated into Greek is actually pronounced pyramos, pyramos, which means to test, to try, or to prove. And so James's book is all about helping us go through tests, actually persevering, so at least trying and pushing forward, and then also proving something on the end of that. And so pyramos, basically meaning test to try or to prove, this is really the key word of the text. James is effectively the subject matter on going through trials. He is a subject matter expert. And he's got close proximity to Jesus, and we'll explain how, but he's a subject matter on the topic. And so he makes, uh, he is the perfect teacher for us to learn from as we go through this series. Um, but what makes him a subject matter expert? Why should we listen to James? Or, 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 or why is his letter important to Christians even today? So we're going to talk through this really quick, but we're going to talk about five facts that we should learn about James. And here's the first fact that we learn about James. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. So James is the, the half-brother of Jesus, meaning he shares a common parent with Jesus. And that common parent is Mary. And so it is believed that James is actually the firstborn to Joseph and Mary. So that is, so he is the firstborn to Joseph and Mary as a married couple within union. Now, you might be thinking, well, what about Jesus? I thought Jesus was the firstborn to Joseph and Mary. Remember, Jesus is conceived, the Holy Spirit comes and impregnates Mary, and Jesus is conceived from that union there. So Jesus is a gift from God, and God uses Mary to conceive Jesus. So Joseph himself is not necessarily the father of Jesus. And so James himself is actually the firstborn between Joseph and Mary. And so James is the half-brother of Jesus. When James is first mentioned in Matthew, Matthew uses the normal word for brother. And the reason why this is important is because when we think about James or when scholars think about James, there are oftentimes different thoughts about his proximity to Jesus. One of the thoughts is that, okay, is James the half-brother of Jesus, but is he a son from Joseph's, uh, a previous relationship that Joseph may have had? 
And so again, Matthew clarifies with the word that he uses for brother to mean, no, he is the firstborn to Joseph and Mary. So not that he is from a previous marriage. There are some theologians who also believe that maybe James is the cousin of Jesus. But again, Matthew uses this word adelphos and Paul uses the same word in Galatians and it basically clears any misconception up and it and it tells us that James is actually the half brother of Jesus. Um, and so uh, that that is what makes him almost this authority on this uh, this this book and the trials and the things that we are going to learn from him in the series. The next thing that we know about James is that James uh, was not a believer during the ministry of Jesus. Now think about this for a minute. Your brother is the Messiah. Your brother is Jesus Christ. And even you don't believe. How trippy is that? James was like, listen, I know who you say you are or who you think you are. But just like a brother, just like a brother, James is giving Jesus a hard time. If you have siblings, you know that it is part of your responsibility and your duty to give your siblings a hard time. And so this is exactly what James, and not just James, but all his brothers are doing. Because when we're introduced to James, we're also introduced to his other brothers, um, Joseph as well. And then there's another brother within there that we're introduced to at the same time. But what we know is that James was not a believer during the ministry of Jesus. So how does he become an authority on this text? And how do we, how do we, how is there a letter from James that is within the canonized scripture? How does this even happen? Um, well, first let's look at this. John chapter seven, verse three through five. It says that Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, again, Think of this from a brother's perspective. They're saying, look, if you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. What are you waiting for? Why don't you go prove it? In verse five, it says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. So how did James come to believe in him? It is likely that when Jesus appeared to the believers in the upper room in the book of Acts that we read about, this is what led to James's conversion. So it's that moment where the Holy Spirit comes and everyone's speaking in different tongues that, that James is caught up within that group and he himself converts and becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but all his brothers are there too. And they become believers in Jesus Christ at that moment. I think it's so wild that James, as we describe again, was not a believer during the ministry of Jesus, uh, but he comes to convert and become a believer um, in the upper room. The next thing we know about James is that James is the writer of this epistle. Now you might read some different things. You might hear from different theologians who will say something differently, but James is in fact the writer of this epistle. And why is there any dispute? Because James is a common name throughout the New Testament. There are at least five different James that are mentioned in the New Testament. We have two apostles of Jesus who are mentioned, who are also named James. And then you also have James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus himself, who is also mentioned. So James, there's some confusion, or there could be confusion about who the author is, but based on the tone of this letter, 
And based on some additional facts that we know about James, the half-brother of Jesus, it can be concluded that he is actually the writer of this epistle. It is unlikely that any other James wrote this letter, including the other apostle of Jesus, because, again, the tone of the letter, but then also the timeline. One of the, one of the apostles was actually uh, killed by Herod, and so he couldn't have been the writer of this text. And so we know, based on, based on the facts that we see within Scripture, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the writer of the book of James itself. So if there were ever any confusion, or if you see different Jameses within the Bible, you know that the book of James is actually written by Jesus's half-brother. The next thing that we know about James is that James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is another fact that helps us conclude that he is the writer of the book of James. In Acts chapter 15, we see James, the half-brother of Jesus, demonstrating this great strength and presiding over this disagreement that was happening at the Jerusalem council. And what was the disagreement? The disagreement was that some of the Pharisees were trying to tell the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. So in this disagreement, James is actually presiding over this council and he basically makes and he basically makes a decision of, no, that is not true. You do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. You do have to abstain from these other things, such as sexual immorality, but you do not have to be circumcised to be saved. And so James essentially settles this debate by saying that they do not need to be circumcised, but they do need to abstain from these other things. And this 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 act or this demonstration of James's authority in the moment is what gives us further proof that he is the writer of this book. And then the last thing that we know about James, or the last thing that helps us understand why he's an authority on this text is that James does not mention his relation to Jesus in the letter. Why is that important? It's important because James wasn't what you would call today as clout chasing. James was not looking for people to respect him or make him an authority on the text simply because he was Jesus's half-brother. That is not why James is who he is. That is not what gives him the authority. He was not clout chasing. He asserted authority based on being a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things about scripture and what allowed a book to be included within the Bible that we have today, this canonized group of scripture and text, one of the important parts about it is that not only did it have to be widely circulated around the church during the time, but it had to be an apostle or it had to be someone who received their authority from Jesus Christ or who received their authority from God. And so that is the, the reality that we see from James here. It's not that he was a brother of Jesus that made him an authority on the text. It's the fact that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he followed Jesus Christ, that he was an apostle, that he was with Jesus Christ uh, during this time. And so it was, it was not until after Jesus, Jesus's uh, uh, death on the cross, but still he was a part of the group who went around and spread the gospel after Jesus's death and resurrection. And so he was a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. James chapter one, verse one says it this way. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where, this, this last part is really where, where we wanna focus 
this first installment of this message, right? Because James, of all the things that he could have said, of all the ways that he could have started his text, he started it by describing that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and and this is where our focus is and our attention is today on this first message. James was focused on serving Jesus and he writes a letter that focuses on not just talking this talk, but also walking the walk. That is what makes this book so crucial is that James doesn't just tell us what we should do, but James lives this out. James teaches us that it's important for us to not just have faith, but our faith to be working and our faith to be operative. It is one thing to say that you believe in Jesus Christ. It is another thing to actually demonstrate and live this out. And this is actually what James is trying to tell us within this text. In other words, James makes it clear that faith has to work, that there has to be more to our faith than just lip service. It has to be more to it than just us talking about it. Again, it's different for us to tell our friends that we believe in Jesus Christ, but when we go through some hardship demonstrating that we believe in Jesus Christ by the way our faith becomes operative in the, in the midst of our hardships is a whole nother thing. And so that is what James is trying to show us. Think about the key verse in James, and we'll go back to it here. But think about this key verse in James again. Again, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Perseveres or to, or perseveres is all about action, right? It doesn't say blesses the one who, who just waits or blesses the one who allows the trials to happen to them. Blesses the one who perseveres under trial. The one who has stood the test. The one who has gone through it and made it through the other side. Not the one who allows the test to beat him up and bring him down. Not the one who allows the test to cause his faith to waver, but the one who perseveres under trial is blessed. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that, that, that description of crown of life is essentially eternal life. The one who perseveres through the test And the trial is the one who receives the promise of eternal life. Why? Because everything that you experience is a test. Everything that you're experiencing is a trial. The life that you're living, the things that you experience, whether over the last few years or the course of your life, is all a trial. And James is telling us you have to persevere and make it through the other side of that trial or that test. Because when you do that, That is when you receive the crown of life. When you make it through this life and you have persevered through the trial and all of that means not allowing your faith to waver. When you have stood and you have allowed your faith to stand firm and you make it through this life, that is when you receive eternal life or this crown of life. So James is describing all of this within this text. And again, we're just setting the foundation today But there is a portion of James that I want us to go through today, and we'll talk about that. But even in this verse right here, it focuses on the fact that when we trust God in the midst of our circumstances, we are blessed when we allow our faith to do the talking and the walking for us. And actually, it becomes operative. We are blessed when we receive that promise. Trusting God, having faith is all about actionable. It's all actionable statements. It's all actionable actionable items for us to allow our faith 
to be operative in the moments where we're facing a trial. If we needed a verse um, or, or if we needed something to kick us off as far as like what we learn from James, um, here's the text that I really want us to look at today. It's uh, James chapter one, verses 21 through 25. And so here's what it says. Here's what James tells us, verses 21 through 25. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And we'll break this down in just a moment. Verse 22, it says, do not merely listen to the word. And you've heard this over and over and over as this is what I'll say before every message, but do not merely listen to the word and so deceive, your, deceive yourselves but do what it says. Look at your neighbor and say, do what it says. Do what it says. Verse 23, it says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Verse 24, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, continues in it, not wavers, not stops, not stutters, but continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So just merely by me hearing the word is not enough. But when I hear the word and I do the word and I apply the word to my life, that is when we are blessed. Again, it's more than just knowing about Jesus. It's more than just hearing the word. It's more than just reading the word, but it is actually applying it to your life. Sometimes I was, I was listening to this, um, this uh, video on Instagram and they were describing why is it that people have a hard time praying? And the person that was talking was describing that people have a hard time praying because they're bored or because they don't know what to say. And the reality is that when you pray or when you read scripture, because scripture can oftentimes be described as boring, but when you pray or when you read scripture, one of the things about praying and listening to God is that when you hear from God, it is important that you apply what you hear to your life. It's not just, oh, I heard from God today. Oh, this is so great. This, but it is about applying. What did you hear? What were you told? How are you going to utilize that in your life? It's the same thing about reading scripture. If you want scripture to come alive for you, if you want scripture to become more than just a book, then read for application, not just to read. If I'm reading for application, then every text that I read starts to have a different meaning and new life for me. And that is how you have the Bible come alive. So when I read scripture and when I read something or when I set out to have a devotional, my intent should be on what can I learn so that I can apply it to my life and not just how can I get through this devotional so I can check it off of my list for today. And I think a lot of us as Christians, and I am also guilty of this too, a lot of us as Christians are list checkers. All we want to do is check it off the list. Did I read my Bible today? Yes, great, I'm done. Did I pray today? Yes, great, I'm done. But the reality is that we should add another task to that list. Did I apply what I read from my scripture reading and what I heard during my prayer time? Because if I'm applying it, that is how it becomes real to me. That is how it becomes planted in my heart when I actually apply it. 
Okay, so let's break this down for just a moment. Verse 21, it says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. And, and, and the point about this text is that salvation comes from having a teachable spirit, a teachable spirit. If you think you know it all, if you think that you have all of the answers, then you will not have, and you do not have a teachable spirit. But when you have a teachable spirit, you accept God's word without resistance. You accept it without disputing or you accept it without questioning. When we receive God's word in that way, we can be saved at that moment. When I, when I receive God's word without question or when I receive what God has to say about me without flinching or without disputing it, that is having a teachable spirit and that is what helps me apply this word to my life so that I can be saved. Verse 22 describes, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. That is that's such a real comment because if I am just trying to check it off the list and you think you're doing something great and you think God is so proud and God is so pleased, if you're just doing it to check it off the list, you are only fooling yourselves. Salvation overall, as we look at verse 22, salvation overall leads to service or acts of service. It is immature to believe that God's goal, even for you attending church, is merely for you to hear the word. That is not the goal of us gathering together. That is not the goal. The goal as scripture describes is, I wanna encourage you, but I also wanna be encouraged by your faith. I also want to feel something from you. It is immature to think that the purpose of coming to church is just to hear the word instead of experiencing transformation of life that is a result of actually applying the word to our lives. That, that's the goal. The goal is to hear, but to become doers of the word. Verse 23 through 25 basically sums up that when we only hear the word it is easy to forget it. If I am only listening and I am not applying, it is much easier to forget the word. And so I have to apply. Only when we actually act on the word of God does it take root and we are blessed. Only when we act on it. God's word is the perfect law of liberty that it describes. And that law of liberty is basically Love for God and love for other people. If I just hear that and I don't apply it, then that word means nothing to me. It's not taking root in my heart. And so I actually have to apply everything that I hear in this law of liberty, which means loving God and loving people, loving my neighbors, but overall applying this word to my life. Here's a quote that, that I think is really important to share. It says, it does not enslave us to bondage or legalism when it comes to the word of God, but rather frees us to keep its precepts by an inward compulsion. In other words, I have to apply this word. It is freedom for me to live out the word of God. It is freedom. It is not legalism. It is not meant to be law. It is not meant for me to feel like I'm being, I'm being given all these rules and regulations. That's not what it's meant to it's actually meant to free us and we feel that freedom when we actually apply it to our lives. 
There's another quote about the book of James um, and, and the themes that are associated within the book that I think is also important. It, it says, for James, works is a natural result of faith. When a person truly believes in something, he or she will act on that belief. With this letter, James was sounding a wake-up call to all Christians. And again, this is a foundational for us in this series. But James and its entire book is a wake-up call for all Christians. And what is that call to action or what is that wake-up call? Very simply put, it is get your life in line with what you believe. If there's one takeaway or one question or homework that I want for you to take away from today's message, it is to ask yourself and answer truthfully, is your life in line with what you believe? And, and, I, and really be honest about this. Is your life in line with what you believe? That's the challenge for you to truly and thoughtfully consider. Is my life in line with what I believe? Notice that the question is not, do I believe? Because that is where we'll start to answer the question. We'll attack it from that angle. Oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. That is not the question. The question is, does your lifestyle, the things you consume, the things that you do, is that in line with what you believe? It's rather focused on your life itself, words aside, uh, it, it, it's, it's about your life in its totality and what you're doing. It's, it, is, it is the thought, and maybe, maybe this is a question for you to ask yourself as you're thinking about this, but, but maybe you ask yourself and you think thoughtfully about, can my life itself, without words included, if it was just a video or highlights of my life, without words included, can it speak to what I believe based on the core values that I live out on a day-to-day -day basis? That, that is really what we have to answer. Does my life align with what I believe? Think about what Jesus teaches in scripture. If you had to score your life based on what Jesus teaches us in scripture and you're demonstrating or living out these teachings, what would your score be? That, that, that is a question. I, I think for this week, this, before we get to the next part of the series, that is the bit of homework that we have to do. I don't, know how, I don't know how you practically do that. Maybe you sit down and you think about all the things that scripture teaches us. And maybe you assign points to it and say like, man, is my life adding up to what it should based on how I am demonstrating what Jesus teaches? What are some of the things that, the Bible script, that scripture and the Bible teaches us? Number one, it teaches us to love God. Am I truly loving God? And I know this sounds very simple, but when you think about loving God in context of John chapter 14, verse 15, it, it brings up a different meaning for loving God. It opens it up a little bit. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. So if I say, yes, I love God, then every commandment that we're giving, every, every command that we're given in scripture, I am obedient to those commands. So loving God is not just saying, again, we like to answer it from the, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I love God from the surface level. But if I truly love God, that means that I am obeying and I am living out every command that God gives me in scripture.
So you could start there and say, do I truly love God based on what John chapter 14, verse 15 says? Can I write, write this down during the week and put a point next to it? How many points are you giving yourself for truly loving God, obeying his commandments? Some other parts that, that the Bible teaches us, very simple stuff, love your neighbor as yourself. Am I doing that well? Am I doing that well? Again, James's whole purpose of writing this letter is a wake-up call to Christians and trying to help us get our lives in line with what we believe. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you love God or you profess that you love God, loving your neighbor as yourself is a commandment that you have been given. How well are you doing this? Do you forgive others who have wronged you? How well do you do this? This is a commandment that we're given. This is what God calls us to do, to forgive those who have done us wrong. How well are you doing at forgiving others? Here's another big one. Are you loving your enemies? Are you loving your enemies? Are you loving the people that you know have made comments about you, who you know have talked about you behind your back? Are you loving even those people? Are you loving your enemies? Because if not, then you need, look at your neighbor and say, get your life in line with what you believe. Are you asking God for forgiveness when you mess up, when you sin? Are you, is repentance for sin or of sin essential in your life? Maybe you, maybe you had a misstep and you're like, man, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't have thought that. Are you asking for repentance? Are you living out what it means to turn and change your behavior? The essence of the word repentance is really to turn, to turn back to God. It's, it, it is a very churchy word, but it has a very simple meaning, to turn to God. And so are you turning to God when you've messed up? Are you being hypocritical? That is a big part of what, God, of what scripture teaches us. Are you being hypocritical? Are you judging others? Is your life in line with what you believe? That is the wake up call that James is trying to give us. And I know, I know it is very uh, pervasive. I know this is a very, uh, this question of, or this homework of assessing your life and deciding whether it is in line with what you believe it is very challenging. It is very challenging. It is something that takes an extreme amount of humility. And maybe you can't do it by yourself. Maybe you need to ask someone who is close to you in your life this very question. Is my life in line with what I believe? This is a challenge that I actually got from my wife recently about our life. And are we living out what we actually believe? Are the things that we listen to in line with what we believe? Are the things that we watch in line with what we believe? And what was helpful about that conversation is the pointing out of certain blind spots in our life. You have to find someone in your life who can hold you accountable and point out certain blind spots. Blind spots are called blind spots for a reason because you cannot necessarily see them. And so you have to have someone in your life who can point out these blind spots and help you see what you cannot naturally see. I do a lot of commuting, and so when I drive on the freeway, there's this truck, and it's called Wildwood Trucking. And on, uh, on the back of the truck, they have two arrows, one pointing to the left 
and one pointing to the right. Now, you know, with semi-trucks, um, they have uh, what is called these blind spots or the passing side and the non-passing side uh, or non-passing side. And so on the right side is what they would call non-passing side. And because that is not, that is the driver's passenger side. And so it is a natural blind spot for them. And on the left side is the good side, or this is the, the side that you can pass. And on the back of this truck, for the arrow that was pointing to the right, it was described as the suicide side. And essentially what they were trying to communicate is that if you come on my right side and you try to pass on the right side, you could be putting yourself in danger. I think you should have someone in your life who acts like this wildwood trucking sign on the back of his car that says, on this right side, this is where you're failing. This is your suicide. This is the area in which you are not passing the test. This is the area in your life which you are not meeting the mark. And if you continue to do that, this is the result of that. And the same thing on the back of this truck, on the left side, the left arrow basically had the passing side. In other words, it was describing to them that this is the safe side. This is the side that you can go, that you can venture into. I can see you. I am alerted to you coming up on me. I have no problem seeing you. And this is, this is the side that is okay. The person in your life should not only be able to point out the blind side, but that person should also help you understand where you are succeeding and be able to celebrate you. And if that person is not able to do both, then you need to find a new person. Because not only should someone be able to point out the side in which you need to get better and the things that you need to get better at and the blind spots in your life, but this person should also be able to point out, man, do more of this because this is where you're excelling. This is the behavior that you want to continue. You got to have a person who can do both. Look at your neighbor and say, can they do both? So how do we know if our life is in line with what we believe? Here's, here's some questions that we can ask ourselves. How do we know if our life is in line with what we believe? Looking at that first verse in uh, James chapter one, verse 21. Let me go back to it. But if we're looking at that first verse there, here's what, here's what that first verse says. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. And so one of the ways that you can know if your life is in line with what you believe, survey your activities and your life as a whole. How much filth and wickedness still remains in your life? Like that is, that is a very humbling question. That is a tough question to answer for anyone. That is a tough question. Have you gotten rid of all the filth and wickedness in your life? So how, how might we describe wickedness? Wickedness might be wrong things or internally disruptive things. You know yourself better than anybody else. And so when you watch certain things or when you listen to certain things, is there a disrupting of your spirit that's occurring in that moment? And if the answer is yes, then you ought to put it down. Like is, is what you're watching or what you're listening, is it internally disrupting you? And if that's the case, then you gotta change the behavior. Wickedness is also described as godlessness or lawlessness, or guilty, or something punishable, or vicious, or very simply put, unrighteous, or sinful. Have you gotten rid of all of the sinful nature in your life? That's a tough question. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved, that is a tough question to answer. 
survey your life, survey your activities this week. Again, we're setting the foundation here. And so if James's purpose of communicating is to sound the alarm and tell us that our life needs to be in line with what we believe, then the starting point for us to really accept what James is saying is to understand where we are falling short in our lives. That's the, that is the starting point, is identifying the behavior that is contradictory to James's question about our life being in line with what we believe. So that's the first question we could ask. How, how much filth or wickedness still remains in our lives? And be honest with yourself. Maybe write these things down. Jot these things down. Maybe next to it, write, why is this still something that's in your life? And then as we go along in this series and we learn what James teaches us, we can start putting some corrective action to those things. Another question we can ask ourselves is, how do you behave in the middle of trials? What do you do? If you want to know if your life is in line with what you believe, think about the last trial or the issue that you went through. How did you behave during that time? Could you really say that you put your whole trust in God? Could you really say that you were, you exercised the utmost faith in those moments? Or were you afraid? Were you fearful? Did you allow the enemy to get the best of your thoughts and your actions and your motives and your behaviors in the moment? What, how did you behave in the middle of a trial? Because that's what James teaches us to do within this text. The next question to understand if, if our life is in line with what we believe, where do we go? Who do we turn to when we need advice to make practical decisions? Like, what is your first thought when you need to make a decision? Do you naturally go to God? Do you naturally pray about it? Or are you seeking for worldly advice? Like, where do you go in the midst of needing to make a decision? One of the, the practices um, in my life that I, that I try to live out on a daily basis, when I'm faced with a difficult decision, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, wherever it is, I will pray about it. And then the next thing I'll do is I'll follow it up by saying, okay, Lord, you decide. And what I am doing is I am turning it over to God. You, you get the last say. I, I know what I might want to do, and I know where I might want to go with this, but Lord, you decide. And in every moment that I have made that statement or every moment that I have held to that and been really truthful about, yes, Lord, you decide, God has done some extraordinary things in our life. I mean, some really big stuff. Like, I mean, we went to go buy a car uh, years ago, and I remember sitting in the dealership, and in this moment, it felt like, man, this is about to slip through our fingers. Like, this is not about to happen. And you know, when, when, when the, the salesperson goes back and forth and, and they, they give you this famous line, all right, let me see what I can do. Let me see what I can do. It's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And so in that moment, I remember just praying, like, I'm not going to stress about this. And I remember saying, Lord, you decide. You decide. If it's meant for us to have this, you decide and you'll make it happen. And we have, we have had some extreme moments where we have seen God do some incredible things simply by way of faith in saying, Lord, you decide. I'm trusting you to decide on this. Another question that we could ask ourselves to see if our life is in line with what we believe. What is a priority for us when it comes to our finances? What is a priority for us when it comes to our finances? It is, is it that we have enough in the bank for a rainy day first? Or is it that we are tithing and we are saying, God, you have the first. We are a church. If you look at the banner on the outside, 
or if you know our vision, part of our vision is to be givers like Christ. And all of that comes down to how can we exercise the same level of faith in our finances that the Bible teaches us. And so the Bible teaches us that we should bring our first fruits to the house of God and to the Lord. And so that should be our priority. So so assess your finances, assess your life and understand very clearly and honestly, what is the priority for me in my finances? The next question we could ask ourselves, are we doers of God's word or just hearers? What is our intent when we're listening to a message? Is it so that we can check it off on, on our moral compass, so that we can check it off on our Sunday activity list? What is, what is the intent when we listen to a message? Is it that we become doers of this word or that we're just hearing it? I always pray that you would become doers of the word, not just hearers, because I understand how powerful it is to actually live out what we learn and not just hear it. Again, think about everything scripture teaches us. Everything scripture teaches us. Do we just read these words or do we take them to heart and be doers of what the word of God says? Then the last question, and this is, feels very elementary, but it is a great question to ask ourselves. What does our prayer life look like? If you want to know if your life is in line with what you believe, what does your prayer life look like? And I'm not just talking about, do you, yes, I, I pray over my food. And yes, I pray before I go to sleep. And yes, I pray when I come to church. And yes, I believe in prayer. But I think about Jesus and how Jesus oftentimes would go off on his on his, on his own and have his intimate time with God the Father praying. Even one of the most distinct memories from scripture is Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he has his own moment of Lord, you decide or rather Lord, not my will, but yours be done. What does your, do you have moments in your prayer life where you can go off on your own and really have an intimate relationship with God. And a bonus question I would ask as far as if your life is in line with what you believe, the bonus question is, what is your relationship like with God? What is your relationship like with God? Are you communicating with God on a regular basis? We, have, we are living in a, a time or, or culture that is very dangerous where people have decided that instead of coming to church or instead of uh, maybe praying as I should, I just, I just believe I, I'm a spiritual person. And so my life is just, it's just spiritual. And so I don't need to come to church all the time or I don't need to necessarily pick up the Bible. There was a gentleman outside this morning who was talking to me and he, was, and he kept reiterating uh, like, yes, he's in your heart. God is in your heart. And we were talking about church and he was, yes, God is in your heart. God is in your heart. And it's like, do you truly believe that? And if you do, that the fact that God is in your heart, great. That means that I, I am keeping his commandments as well. That means that I am coming and I am gathering with other saints. That means I am building a relationship with him. If he is truly in my heart, then my heart of hearts wants me to live out what it means to be in true relationship with God. And that is more than just being a spiritual being. It is more than that. It is actually living out what scripture tells us. And so what is your relationship like with God? What is your prayer life? What is your communication like with God? 
These are all questions that we're asking ourselves. And maybe we'll post these on social media so we all can remember these. But throughout this series, these are some of the things that we're going to uncover. Again, just setting the foundation today, but these are some of the themes that we are going to uncover that James is going to help us uncover. Again, we talked about how much filth or wickedness is in our lives. James is going to help us uncover that. How do we behave in the midst of trials? James is going to teach us that. Where do we go when we need advice to make practical decisions? James is going to teach us that. What is a priority for us in our finances? How do we treat others? How do we, how do we, uh, how do we become doers of the word? All of this is what James teaches us throughout his epistle. And so that's what we plan to learn throughout this series. Again, some homework for all of us. Before we come back to the next installment of this message, some homework for all of us, a question to ask in our household, find you a partner, someone, an accountability partner, but you should be asking one another this question, is my life in line with what I believe? And be humble enough to accept the response. If they tell you, girl, nah, you got a lot of areas that you need to, you need to get together or you need to get in line. Accept that humbly. Don't take offense to it because the reality of asking someone else who loves you and who has their best, has your best interest in mind, when you ask them that type of question, the answer that you want to hear is the truth. You don't want to hear a fluffy answer. You don't want to hear an answer. You don't want to hear what you want to hear. You want to hear the truth. You want to hear it point blank and you want to hear it with clarity. And when we are clear and when we are truthful and when we are honest, this is all kindness. This is all demonstrations of love. If I can be clear and open and honest with you and say, listen, your life does not align with what you believe. That is very important. So take that with humility. Don't take it as a shot to the chest. Don't take it as a slap in the face, but take it as an opportunity to get better and become more and more aligned to what you believe and more and more to line to what Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ would have us live our lives. So that is your homework. Ask, find, a, find an accountability partner, find someone, ask them this question, let them ask you, you ask them, is my life in line with what I believe? Write down what they say and write down some of these practical ways that you might be able to change that behavior and get better as a believer. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day -day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you wanna partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrovechurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call the Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. 
I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.